Welcome to Life After Business, the podcast where your host, Ryan Tansom, brings you all the information you need to exit your company and explore what life can be like on the other side. Welcome back to the Life After Business podcast. This is episode 78. Do you want to know what a great exit looks like and what are the different variables to accomplish a great exit? Well, then today's episode is perfect for you because we have Jeff Green on the show, who is the author of The Smart Business Exit. He was an, he started off his career as an M&A attorney. He's been a business advisor, a value building advisor, an exit strategist for many, many decades. And Jeff and I have a amazing conversation about all the different variables to build a sustainable business that is highly transferable, valuable, what it means to have control as the business owner over the process of who you choose to sell to and when, and also what are the different emotional ramifications of selling your business and what prep work do you need to do ahead of time to make sure that you're extremely happy post-sale and 12 months later. So there's a lot of different variables that go into a great exit, but after today's episode, you're going to have a lot of actionable takeaways that can help you focus your time and energy in the right spots. So without further ado, here's my episode with Jeff. This episode of Life After Business is brought to you by Solidity Financial's Growth and Exit Planning. Their proven process gives you clarity on all of your exit options and how those options impact your financial success, timing, and future happiness. Sell your company on your time frame to the right buyer at the price you want. Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm excellent, Ryan. Great to be on the show. And it is morning there and evening here because you are way over in Australia. Correct. So, so <laughs> Melbourne, Australia. Yeah, and and I love it because you know I, I for the listeners I, I've spent a half a year over in Australia and, I, and it's a great part of the world. Um, and it, what I find amazing is I, your your marketplace has really been diving into the growth and exit planning quite a bit, and you've uh, made quite a name for yourself with the book that you've written and uh, some of the things you've been doing. But you know, for the listeners that don't know you, Jeff, if you could kind of maybe just give them a little bit of a brief background on you know where you came from and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, look, one of the things I've really loved about my career, Ryan, is I've, I've, I've had the opportunity to to do quite a few things over my career, um, work with some great organisations, and probably particularly work with some fantastic entrepreneurs. So I look back and and those things are, have been, you know, terrific things for, for my career and my development. So in terms of, of key areas in particular, I've spent a lot of years as a M&A lawyer. Um, so done a lot of transactional work, uh, worked with one of the largest law firms in Australia, Minter Ellison, worked in mid-tier firms and then also set up a couple of my own boutique firms. So really, really in-depth transactional experience with uh, business transactions and particularly exits. Spent quite a bit of time as a business advisor um, and that's what I spend most of my time doing these days. Also spent quite a bit of time on boards and advisory boards, uh, particularly with private companies, high growth companies and so on. And also spent a little bit of time with the corporate regulator here in Australia, the, the equivalent of the SEC in, um, in the US. Um, and I worked in their policy area, which was a fascinating place to view the world from for two or three years. So a pretty pretty sort of varied career. But probably the, the three key things that I've always come back to in my career is 
um, working with entrepreneurs, working with high growth companies, um, and particularly working with innovative companies. I've always been drawn to companies that are, are trying to do new things. So those have been the, been the three key things. And uh, over the years, working with some great entrepreneurs, I've just learned a massive amount about, you know, building value and then and then exiting well and moving on. So that's really, in a nutshell, what's my, what my career has been over the last sort of 30, 35 years. Well, and because you, you spend so much time around the exit now and and building valuable companies, and, it, and just kind of curious, where did the passion for this specific topic come from? Um, look, I think I think the passion has come from a range of things. Um, I guess working with a lot of business owners over a long, long time, and particularly as a as a corporate lawyer you'd often get brought in quite late in transactions. So, you know, somebody would be coming to you when they'd already made the decision to sell, they were perhaps a long way down the path and and so on, and, and you were really helping them just execute the transaction. And I always found it incredibly frustrating, um, you know, particularly as a younger lawyer, um, just seeing so many business owners work so hard for so many years and then just not not get rewarded for their blood, sweat and tears at the end of that. And I guess as I got more experienced and I, you know, I talked a lot more with business owners, you'd sort of see all these areas where you go, if you just, you know, had done these things two or three years ago, or if if we could have been involved earlier and helped you, you know, firm up your IP or, you know, make sure your employment contracts are all in place properly and a whole lot of, you know, fairly basic sort of stuff they would have just got much better exits. So that was probably one of the one of the key drivers. Probably more broadly than that, I, I guess as you know, as my career developed and I, I was probably doing more business advisory work than straight legal work, you know, I started to sort of see the real importance of where business transactions just fit into the the whole framework of economic activity and, and how important it is that when valuable businesses are built that you know that value actually gets passed on to to other owners and and all the stakeholders in that business you know continue to benefit from the fact that you know somebody took a risk one day and went out and set up their own business and and I think that's re- a really important part of our society generally which often gets overlooked by the community generally by politicians and so on so that that's a sort of more general driver and, and I guess fundamentally for me, I just love working with entrepreneurs and I really think that, you know, if you build value as an entrepreneur, you take the risk, you, you're courageous enough to go out and have a crack, that you should get rewarded for your blood, sweat and tears. Simple as that. Yeah, touche. I mean, and it's all the risks too. It's the blood, sweat and tears and crazy amount of risk that you had and it's, you know, time to de-risk sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and, I, and I think... You know, that, you know, I think as a society, we often uh, take for granted the fact that there's only a relatively small number of us who actually go out and and build something valuable that then creates jobs, it, you know, develops products and services, it pays taxes, it does all of these things. So, so you know, that ability to, you know, de- as you say, de-risk, you know, wh- whether that's through a, a total exit or taking some money off the table as you build your business. I think it's really important. And a lot of people, you know, I, I don't think value what business owners and entrepreneurs actually bring to our society generally. So, yeah, the risk part's absolutely fundamental. 
Well, okay. So I, I totally agree. And I, and I'm thinking about, you know, with our time here, because you've written the book, you know, the smart business exit, and you've been doing this for so long, Jeff, you know, there's so many different ways we can go because of the knowledge and experience that you have. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of thinking, you know, before we do, you know, and, and hammer out a couple of the big key categories, you know, what in your mind with all of the things that you've seen, what would you describe the, per, you know, the best exit, like what is a great exit when you, if you were to look at someone and say they did it correctly, how would you kind of summarize it up and what did they do? Right? Yeah, look, this is uh, something I've thought about a lot over many, many years. And I guess I've, I've really boiled it down to three things. And this has been very much driven by me just watching, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of entrepreneurs go through business exits. And I think it comes down to three things. I think the first thing is is freedom. And when I say freedom, I mean freedom in a really broad sense. So um, it, it should include financial freedom. You know, if you if you build a business, you should be able to walk away going, okay, financially, I, I'm now set up. I've, I, you know, I, I can do whatever I want to do from a financial perspective. You know, within within reason. But but it's not just the it's not just the money. It's it's the freedom then to have time to do things that you want to do. Um, and I think that's something that's often overlooked. That you know, if you get a good exit, you suddenly go from working, you know, crazy 70, 80, 90, 100 hours a week to you know, potentially nothing, um, and you know, and to <laughs> yep. have that time and to be able to use that time in really good ways, I think is really important. Um, and I think also freedom in the broader sense of being being able to do a lot of things that you can't do when you're running a business full time. And and I guess it's the because it, you build up a lot of networks and expertise and knowledge when you when you build a build a great business. So then having the freedom to actually use those skills and resources and expertise in a whole range of other ways. So that's the first that's the first thing. The second one, which I think can, can really creep up on people, is is legacy. Um, because for a lot of people, when you build a business, there's a lot of you in the business. You know, you've the purpose of the business is often very personal to you. Um, the, the, all the relationships you have through the business, your staff, your customers, your suppliers, you know, people, uh, you know, underestimate how important those things often are to business owners. So that sense of mm -hmm. is my business going to go on in a meaningful way where I kind of feel like everything I've built um, is going to get preserved. Now, in, in years gone by, a lot of that legacy um, component was dealt with by passing on your business to the next generation. So you still had this connection with it. But when you sell to a third party, um, you know, your your connection with your business is often severed. So thinking about um, how, do you, how do you have that sense of I built something great and it continues? Um, and I think I've, I've had some great discussions with um, Michael Gerber, who uh, a lot of people know wrote the E-Myth Revisited over the last couple of years. And I think Michael articulates this really well because he, he talks about your purpose as, a, as an entrepreneur is to build a business that will continue beyond you. It's almost like you're creating something to pass on. Um, so mm -hmm. it's that building something that, that you can look at 10 years' time and go, you know, what I built still there and the fundamentals are still there, even though a new owner will obviously change some things. So that's the second that's the second bucket. The third bucket is what I'd call renewed purpose, um, that you you need to 
you know, when you've exited your business, um, you know, stop and uh, take stock and, and work out, well, what am I going to do now? What's what's the new thing that's going to, you know, really fire me up and, and get me wanting to do things every day? Um, and I think that's a good thing to be thinking about well before you exit and starting to put some some stakes in the ground in terms of well what might I want to do afterwards because you know afterwards you're financially free you've got time you've got you know a lot of things you didn't have when you started your business so you want to throw that into something else and the best entrepreneurs I see um, you know they'll take a break they'll you know they'll do some holidaying they'll spend a lot of time with their family and so on but pretty soon they want to get back into something. Um, so going, having a way of, you know, working out what that renewed purpose is, I think is really important. Life after business, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it's, well, it's so true. And I, and, and I like how you bucketed those into three pretty easy things because it is so important. And my guess is, you know, when you were sitting at the transaction table or something and the people that didn't do one of these crucial things, you probably saw either remorse or some sort of version of unhappiness. And that's even regardless of the financial outcome, right? And because Jeff, I was at this panel and there was these advisors up there and, you know, they were talking about successful exits and they were pushing, you know, essentially every, all the advisors want the, the owner to sell and punch out and make all this money. But that's all they were talking about. I'm like, there's so much more involved in this than just the finances. I mean, like there, it's so much more the untangible stuff that could make or break how happy you are with it. Yeah, and you're so right about that, Ryan. And and I mean, let me give you just one small example of that. I was talking to a business owner recently, and they they've got a large business in a regional town in Victoria, and it's it's the biggest business in town by a long way. And they're a second generation family, really re- built a fantastic business. They're really proud of it, and, and they're at a stage now where they're you know three brothers, and they're in their late fifties, early sixties, so they're thinking about exiting. One of the biggest issues for them is how do we walk down the main street afterwards if we've sold it to somebody who just comes in and rips the guts out of it? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because because it's their town, they've really lived there their whole lives, they don't want to move. How do, how do we exit in a way where we're going to be comfortable still living in this town? So for them, the financial side's important, but a lot of it's what, you know, what's going to happen to the business afterwards, you know, and... So many business owners underestimate how big an issue that is. Well, I yeah, I've been there, done that. <laughs> My dad and I, after we closed, I mean, I was, I was like, it was like a trauma event. You know, it was not okay. So yeah, there's money in the bank account, but like emotionally, like what? Like it's hard to even describe and articulate after, unless you get years of thinking about it. And you know, you and I were talking about that, Jeff. That you know, there's all these intangibles, these different values. So whether it's you know, how do you affect the community, like the story you just told about all these different emotions. You know, you said you thought a lot about that too. What are the different things that people should be, you know, the, the owners should be thinking about to even start? Like, how do you start figuring out what's important to you? And in your mind, what are the emotional things that you know people should be aware of? Yeah, I, I guess over the years, I've, I mean, I started very much as a technical advisor, as a as a corporate lawyer. So you know, you, I've, I was focusing a lot on on you know all the logistics and nuts and bolts stuff of getting the deal done. A lot of a lot of advisors focus on that, but I guess over time, in particular, last five years or so, I've started to see business exits very much as being there's all the technical stuff, and it's really important you get that right because um, it makes a big, big difference. But then there's all the emotional stuff, which if you don't work through that, it, it has an impact. And I guess the way 
I, I tend to, you know, describe it to people as I say, look, you know, selling your business, you're going to go through an emo- emotional roller coaster here. You know, one day it's going to be great because you're thinking about <laughs> making a down payment on a Ferrari. The next day it's going to be terrible because you, you know, you realise that um, the, the new buyer might want to come in and strip out half your staff. So it's an emotional roller coaster and you can't avoid that, but you can prepare for it so mm-hmm. that um, as it happens, you're working through it. And probably in terms of the things that I talked about a moment ago about a great exit, um, one of the things I often ask, particularly baby boomer um, business owners, one thing I ask them straight up is, what are you going to do after you've sold your business? And it amazes me how many, particularly with older guys, how many people just look across the table at you absolutely blank. They have no idea what they're going to do. And these are people who for for 40 years have been working, you know, six days a week, 90 hours a week. Um, Monday morning, they're going to wake up and go, cripes, what am I going to do now? Play golf five days a week? They're not going to do it. Um, (laughs) So so, go VFW or the the Legion and play pull tabs? Like it's not sustainable. (laughs) No, it's not sustainable. So I I often start going, well, look, before we even start looking at your exit, let's start talking about what you're going to do afterwards because I can tell you if you don't, have an idea what life afterwards looks like, it's going to come up during your exit and cause all sorts of difficulties. And it's when you sit in meetings, and I'm sure you've sat in meetings like this, Ryan, where you're sitting there going, this business owner's surrounded by lawyers and accountants and contracts, totally disconnected with the process because they're thinking about something that's more emotional and no one in the room's focused on it at all. So it's just sitting there and it causes massive issues in business exits, both during the exit and afterwards. So I think, you know, as advisors, um, it's one area that I think is really important that, you know, there are more and more advisors who, you know, work with business owners to help them help them through that part of business exits as they, as they go through them. Well, yeah, and I 100%. And I agree with you. And what I find it challenging, Jeff, like when I was sitting at the table and I've seen other people since sit at the table where you don't even necessarily know the emotional side or the emotional entanglement you have with your company until afterwards. So it's like, it's hard because you, it's the unknown unknown. And, you know, a couple of examples like I personally went through is so it's the trade associations and your friends and your family. Like, so like, if you think about it, like, so we were, we were office equipment and IT distributor and servicers. So it was the trade associations were all of our friends, all the different trips that we had with our people. Our vendors were actually close friends of ours. The employees were all the work trips. I mean, literally it was my entire community was ingrained in our, in our business. And you don't really realize that you're, 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 selling like a group of family and friends <laughs> and it's yeah and you have no yep. way like so i'm just curious you know in that kind of scenario which you've probably seen before is you know how do you prepare someone to go through that you know i just don't is there a way that you can actually prep for that or does that have to do with what you're you know talking about afterwards just curious what's your experience on that um, look, I think I think part of it's um, actually building an awareness around all of that because you're absolutely right that that unless somebody starts to talk to you about that, you know, before or during your exit, you often don't realise that till afterwards. And 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 I think the you know the sort of situation I see from time to time, which I think is actually really tragic, is when you see a, a business owner get a fantastic financial exit. So. 
you know, they tick part of the freedom box, but they don't get the other two. And everybody externally is looking and going, you know, Ryan sold his business for 10 million bucks, you know, what happy days, everything must be wonderful. Where, as you say, you could be sitting there going, well, hang on, I feel terrible, you know, because I've (laughs) lost all of these things. So it's really hard to actually talk to a lot of people about it because they go, oh, come on, give me a break, you know. Here I am working on my job and you just walked out with this massive exit. Um, And there's not a lot of people you can talk to. So part of it for me is really encouraging, uh, you know, my clients and people, you know, business owners I talk to is make sure early in the process, you know, you, you start to read some of the stuff that is out there on this stuff and there's not a lot so far but hopefully there'll be more over time but also start to look to start to seek out people you can talk to go try and find other business owners in your network who've already sold their business and go, go and have a meal with them have a beer with them and talk to them you know specifically talk to them about this stuff because you'll learn a whole lot of stuff that um, is just not out there in the public domain um, and at least it starts you get gets you starting to think about the issues and gets you starting to think about the fact that, you know, if a lot of my community is tied up in my business, um, I need to start building, you know, other communities outside my business so I've actually got something to step into afterwards because those things are so fundamental to, you know, just how happy we are in our day-to-day lives. Right. And I want to drop a note for Bo Burlingham's book, Finish Big, which is a mutual friend of ours who's kind of the pioneer of a lot of this stuff. Cause if that's the book that I read in order to kind of spark this journey, I know you have uh, followed and worked with him closely too. And, you know, one of the things that, that his book mentions too, which uh, you were kind of just referring to, Jeff, is it's like, it's this sense of relevancy where even though you might have the $10 million and you don't have a company, you, you, like you have nothing to do and talk about. So like, I mean, honestly, like my dad is still calling up the old copier buddies and talking to them, but like, he doesn't have to talk about payables or vendor problems or there's so like, there's nothing to literally talk about, even though he's still friends with them, the friendship dynamic completely changed and they hadn't worked at that relationship without the business there. So there was literally like all these relationships, the dynamic is immediately different. Yeah. Yeah, and that's absolutely right. But um, often the once you take the business connection out of it, the relationship it, it is just completely different. And it's sort of well, yeah, we caught up for a beer, but what do we do next time? Just catch up for another beer. That's sort of the meaning <laughs> of the relationship sort of seeps out of it. Yeah. Um, which is not that you don't still still feel really good about each other. It's just that the the thing that made the strong connection is not there anymore. And, and that's why you need to look for look for other things. So in your book, you call some of these the uncomfortable truths of an exit. Can you explain a little bit more about what you mean by that? Yeah, so so I guess the uncomfortable truths um, uh, was something I came up with to look at, well, how does this actually manifest its, manifest itself in practice? Because, you know, a lot of people, you know, they are very emotional about their business, much more so than they actually realise and, and the problem is when you are emotional, you, you, there's a lot of things that you, you don't want to go and explore. So the whole idea of exiting your business um, there can be a lot of psychological barriers around that. And one thing which I see some business exit advisors talk about, which I actually disagree with, is they, they pick up Stephen Covey's um, habit from his book, The uh, seven habits of highly effective people, and they talk about this idea that you, you know, you you should start with the end in mind. 
And and I think that's actually not the right way to think about exits. I think I think exits you need to think about it as a really important step in your journey as a person and as an entrepreneur. Because if you think about it as the end in mind, to me that's got a whole lot of negative connotations about it. So like, well, that's the end, there's nothing afterwards, you know, that's time to to finish up. When in fact it should be a, a really important step on your on your you know journey as an entrepreneur and and if you look at it more that way then you can approach the whole emotional side differently you can start to sort of look at well i need to feel positive about you know what's on the other side of my exit not not sort of see it as an end where you know i've got no idea what's going to happen afterwards because the best entrepreneurs who exit their business go on and have you know do bigger and better things afterwards so you know, it's. I think you need to see it that way. And the problem, and the problem is, if you don't, you get what I think are the uncomfortable truths. So, you know, you get the fact that most business owners aren't ready for their exit at all, even if they say they are. You know, once you start looking, they're not. They underestimate the fact that we often don't have any control over their exit. So, a lot of exits get precipitated by, you know, a potential buyer tapping you on the shoulder or a serious health issue to yourself or your partner or whatever. So often, you you get tumbled into an exit without realising it. They take a long time, you know, a, a, a reasonable size business. By the time you get ready, actually go through the sale process, you might have to work for a while in the business afterwards. You know, so an exit might end up taking you three, four, five years before you're completely free of it. So you don't want to be approaching your exit when you're absolutely exhausted. Um, mm-hmm. You want to be approaching your exit while you've still got plenty of petrol in the tank or gas, I should say, Brian. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Then there's a lot of issues around uh, how valuable your business actually is because my experience usually is the vast majority of business owners think their business is worth a lot more than it actually is. So there could be a lot of emotion tied up in that as well. Have I really created something as valuable as I thought I had? And, you know, again, that... That involves sort of working often with advisors and, you know, business colleagues around, you know, accepting, well, it's probably not worth as much as I thought it was and how do I deal with that? Things like the fact that, you know, kids, I think, aren't taking over the family business anywhere near as much as they used to. And often there's a whole lot of emotion tied up with, well, you know, I thought Johnny was going to step up and, you know, take the business over and now I realise he's not. You know, so there's often a lot of conversations in family businesses that don't happen and there's all sorts of expectations that don't get dealt with. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so there's all these, and I've sort of bundled these up as the uncomfortable truths and I see part of my role as an advisor to help drill down into some of those and go, well, you say you're ready, but let's really have a good look. Are you really ready? And if you're not, what's stopping you actually doing that? And often it's emotional stuff. All right. And have you talked about any of this stuff with anybody? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and you should be talking to a range of people, not just not just your professional advisors, but you know, I'm a big fan of things like advisory boards or, you know, mentoring arrangements or or just just having relationships with other business owners where you can sit down and talk about some of this stuff because a lot of private business owners live in pretty lonely worlds in terms of having people around that they can talk to about this kind of stuff. And I often find I quite like getting a bunch of business owners, you know, around a boardroom table or a private room in a restaurant or something and just go, guys, let's just talk about some of this stuff. And 
once you start talking, you know, people go, oh, it's not just me that's thinking this way or having this issue. <laughs> yeah, Suddenly, right. you know, Tom down there and Fred down there, who I've known for 20 years, they, they're worrying about this stuff as well, you know, and it can be really cathartic, I, I think. Well, it's it's super therapeutic and you start to realize that you can then start to slowly move towards action because it's not some sin to be talking about an exit that's seven years away. It's a, such a ridiculous preconceived notion that you're going to sell your company right away when all you're doing is preparing and planning so you can control yeah. everything. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and so going back to that control, and I think it'll it's going to be a good dovetail into the rest of our conversation, Jeff, where, you know, I think having the control and what, what I kind of joke around about it is like, it's not just an exit where you're selling right now, but it's a growth and exit plan. And that allows you to have almost like the choose your own adventure. So you, you referred it to as a stepping stone in the entrepreneur's journey where like, you know, the choose your own adventure kind of books in the style of that book is no matter what falls on top of you, you've got the ability to make the right de- right decision based on all the criteria you've put in line. And that is essentially control, which is why us as entrepreneurs started your company anyways, because you like control and you're willing to take the risk in order to have it. And I think you explained in your book, and there's a lot of things that you adhere to, and how do we do the pre- uh, preparation to get the control that we have, which is kind of a combination of planning out for various exits, but also building a transferable and valuable company. So maybe we can kind of take those in two chunks where, you know, in your mind, you know, what is it that you see in a company that makes it extremely valuable and easily transferable that allows the business owner to reap the rewards of their blood, sweat and tears? Yeah, I think it, I think it's a whole mixture of things, and and I think you need to start with the mindset first. What 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 do you think you're actually trying to build? Be, and and part of that is about understanding what type of business owner you are. And John John Warrelow, you know, who we both know well, has a has a really interesting way of um, categorizing business owners, and he, he talks about uh, business owners who are craftspeople, who are motivated mostly by doing the work and producing really high-quality products or services. Like, a, freedom like, of- a, like well, let's, sorry to interrupt, but let's give a couple examples yeah. for the listeners. Because, so the craftsman is like a photographer, right? Or, and there's a bunch of other people out there. Like, name someone that might be a craftsman that you know. Yeah, yeah. So a photographer is a great example. So uh, somebody who would be a photographer who's a, a really good craftsperson is somebody who just loves the feedback they get when they take great photos. They love the process of, of doing the photography themselves. And you can think about a lot of people in a lot of different sort of businesses who love the work itself and they love the recognition they get from doing great work. Um, so so they will build they will build a business that gives them that satisfaction and they will keep coming back to that all the time. The second type of business owners uh, John talks about are freedom fighters who are people who hate working for other people. They, they just want to do it their way and they want to build a business the way they want to build it. They want to run it the way they want to run it and it's all about not so much that they're selfish, but they just want to want to do it their way. Um, and often they build great businesses, but they have trouble sometimes building really big businesses. And then you've got your mountain climbers who are probably the quintessential entrepreneurs who go, I'm just going to the top of the mountain. I will do whatever it takes to get to the top of the mountain. I'll raise capital. I'll give part of the company away. I'll sack people. I'll do whatever it takes. <laughs> And you know there you there you you know you Steve Jobs and you know Elon Musk's and you know just your absolute quintessential entrepreneurs. So you need to understand who you are first because I find a lot of business owners 
will try and build a business which is actually inconsistent with the kind of business owner they fundamentally are. And if you're a craftsperson, you want to build a bigger business, you probably need to find somebody who has a bit more of a mountain climber type approach to life and maybe you need to team up with them. And Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniacki are probably, you know, great examples of that with Apple. You know, you had a master craftsman and a, and a, and a you know, the ultimate mountain climber um, and build a fantastic business as a result. So I think you need to start there. I think also looking at what you're doing with your business and I think a lot of business owners when they're running and building their business, particularly from the outset, um, it's a lot about how much cash flow can I generate, how much profit can I generate. And it's it's like your business is your uh, auto, automatic teller machine, your ATM. Um, it's the cash provider, you know. And so a lot of what you do is focused on, you know, um, you know, making cash, you know, to fund your lifestyle, pay for your holidays, put your kids through through school, all that sort of stuff. But that dictates a lot the kind of business that you run. It's very very focused. And there's nothing wrong with profit. There's nothing nothing wrong with revenue. But if if that's the sole focus. You're not necessarily at the same time building a valuable business, but then you know a lot of business owners will do that for a number of years, and then suddenly go, "Oh, now I want to sell it." So now I want this business to have magically turned into something valuable, and it's not necessarily doesn't necessarily happen like that, you know, unless you're focusing on building, you know, what I call a highly sellable business. You, you're not focusing on the value and the ability to pass that value on to onto a new owner. Um, well, and I, and, and I, I guess. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, go on. Well, I was going to say, I, I, to interrupt for a sec, because I, I think I got an interesting example um, to highlight what you were just saying, because so I'm in an executive peer group and, you know, there's a bunch of business owners that are all talking about their goals and, you know, it's the cash and the ATM is one thing and all the perks and lifestyle part of it. But then there's these goals that I think that we as entrepreneurs have that are based in like ego or a bunch of junk because it's like, I want to double in revenue and profit. So, and as this gentleman was explaining this and I'm like, so why, you know, so I want to go, let's take some hypothetical numbers is from 5 million to 10 million. And I'm like, okay, so that 5 million, you're a distributor, right? So he's in the service and distribution. So he competes with his distributor. So if you're going to spend all that time, money and energy in doubling in size, you're still competing with your distributor and all your revenue comes from that distributor. So you might not be making, you know, you're still only going to be making 7% in a, with revenue that's junk. <laughs> so yeah. It, yeah. It, it's totally measuring the wrong things. So maybe that'll tee up because you were starting to get into like, what is a highly sellable business? Yeah. And, and look, that, I think that's a good example where, you know, if your focus is, is so much on on revenue and profitability, and I think a lot of businesses focus way too much just on revenue. You know, because the the profitability, you know, often get I find often gets lost. A lot of people talk about well, we want to, you know, double, triple, quadruple our revenue, and I always say, well, what are you doing about profitability? Because that's one of the things that's going to drive drive your exit price. But in terms of in terms of looking at how you make the business more saleable. And look, I love going back to Michael Gerber on this stuff with the E-Myth Revisited. You know, and as, as a lot of your listeners will know, Michael first coined the, the phrase, work on your business, not in your business. Mm-hmm. And to really understand that phrase, you've also got to go back to what, what was the E-Myth. The E-Myth was that most business owners 
aren't actually – they're not entrepreneurs. They're not creating a business. They're just creating a job for themselves. So that idea of you have to work on your business, not in your business, is, is to me, the mindset you need to bring to building a valuable business. And that's looking at, you know, h- how do I build the business in a way that it's, it's not dependent on me day to day to run the business? How do I take that step back? And that can be quite counterintuitive for a lot of entrepreneurs. How do I effectively – end up with a business where I do very little in the business, uh, you know, and that, and that can be a big shift in both mindset and how you actually operate day to day. How do I build the systems and processes here so that it's easy for me to scale the business um, as opposed to everything coming back to me all the time? Um, how do I focus on building, you know, intellectual property in the business that, you know, is potentially really valuable to a buyer? These are all the sort of things and, you know, you and I cover a lot of this with the, with our Value Builder program, which looks at, you know, eight key drivers of, of, you know, value within businesses. When you look, Jeff, at like a business owner, what is the biggest challenge you see that they have on getting out of the day-to-day and removing themselves from everything? Um, I think that, uh, well, look, I think it does vary from business owner to business owner. I, I I think some, some, sometimes a lot of it's tied up in their sense of who they are and, and, and often there's, you know, quite a bit of ego in it that uh, people need to feel important. They need to feel like, oh, well, everybody needs me. You know, I get into my office and there's 10 people lined up wanting to talk to me about stuff so that they can get on with what they need to do. Um, <laughs> that might, yeah. might make you feel good and make you feel wanted. It also makes you feel exhausted. I was but, it, say. It, it, but it's not actually building a better business because you're you're actually then the the, the bottleneck in in making the business go well. You know, and, mm-hmm. and you want to get to a point where people you know people don't need you. They're just getting on with it, which is then giving you time to do the stuff. Thinking about maybe we should do an acquisition. Maybe we should get that R and D project up and running. I need to spend some time getting that happening. Now, and I'll give you one one interesting little anecdote on that. There's a, a guy who I've done quite a bit of work with over the years who uh, has been very good at building and exiting businesses, um, and he sold a business a little while ago to a Euro- big European company. Um, and they said to him afterwards, well, you're going to have to stay on for three years under a performance earnout, blah, blah, blah. He said, oh, look, I, I don't think I really need to, but if you insist on it, they said, yes, and we're going to pay you really well to do it. And after about three months, they said to him, um, what do you actually do? <laughs> um, he said, well, I don't do much at all. I told you that a while ago. So I built a great management team. The business runs itself. Uh, it doesn't – I don't need to be around. And they went, oh, okay. Uh, we'll just let this run for another three months. And they had this conversation again. They said, we can't see what you're actually doing. What are we paying you for? And he said, well, you're not paying me to do anything. I'm happy to take the money, but I'm also – happy to go because I've got a few other things I want to do. Um, so that was a really good he, – he did it really well, and I've seen him do it three or four times in a row. He made himself redundant, and he was very comfortable with that. And, and you know, that's one of the things you want on exit. You you want to actually say to a buyer, you don't need me after I've sold the business, so just pay me full value now and let me go. Um, well, I think, you know, out of all the eight key drivers that Warlow talks about or any of the value drivers that, you know, any other professional might talk about, I think it's such a, one of the most important ones because everything kind of falls into line. You have to systematize. You have to concentrate on the right things and you have to eliminate your ego and start thinking about where you want to spend your time. So there's a lot of ripple effects from just having that one goal. And, you know, I think to note, 
for the listeners or owners that are thinking, okay, well, I like what I'm doing. You know, I don't know, Jeff, if you've seen it, but you know, if you pull yourself and you systematize it like that story you just told, as an owner, you can still do whatever you enjoy, right? So if you're an engineer, you can go still then go and make things and still own the company or a salesperson or whatever. So you can go back and not have to be the CEO, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you and you can do the stuff that's really fun in the company because I find a lot of business owners, you know, you, you when they've been working in a business for a long time, you know, you talk to them and go, I'm exhausted, I'm sick of doing HR, I'm sick of doing this, I'm sick of people problems, blah, blah, blah. And you go, well, well what if what if you didn't have to deal with that anymore? What if you could get almost back to the coalface? You know, you've got three projects there that are all stuck because they kind of need someone like you to get in there and get them moving again. And you can actually free the business owner up to almost go back to what they started the business for in the first place. Mm-hmm. And if you can achieve that, you can often totally revitalize business owners because they go, oh, this is great. You know, I can. It's fun again. <laughs> I can, it's fun again. Exactly. Um, so, you know, I've worked with a lot of business owners around, well, how can we, you know, get, get the right people in place so you don't have to do all the stuff that you now hate in the business, get back to doing the stuff you love in the business. Well, and I think, you know, it's a, it's a challenge to, a, because when you look at it, you're like, okay, I have to hire a couple $125,000 people. Well, that's fine, but it increases the value of your business. And, incre- and even if it's more long-term with the value of the business, but it actually frees you up to get to do what you want to do. So it, it all around, it accomplishes a lot of different objectives. And I think that brings me on to, you know, one of the questions that uh, you constantly um, bring up in your book or the, the perspectives you want them to think about is always think like a buyer. So if you were to switch, because I think the value building is the opposite of like, if you're a buyer, you discount if the value driver is not there. So it's kind of two sides of the same coin. You know, in your mind, what does thinking like a buyer mean? And what do they actually, what are the things that they're looking for? Yeah, so I, I, when I when I was writing the book, I, I was trying to come up with some sort of key ideas that I thought were really important. And and this idea of always thinking like a buyer, um, it's really a, it's really sort of trying to get business owners into a mindset of constantly trying to stand back from their business and look at it as if they were a buyer, um, because it, it's really hard when you work in the business every day to to be objective about it. Um, there's a lot of things that you just don't see anymore. It's like, you know, when, when you're getting your house ready for sale, you, you know, you sort of start looking around going, oh, there's all these blemishes here that I'd kind of see every day but I don't see anymore um you know and it's the same <laughs> with your business you know you you kind of walk in and you you kind of don't notice that the the front sign probably needs you know repainting or redoing and and you, you just don't see stuff in the business that that a buyer's going to look at and go oh that's a bit of a problem you know or I you know that would need to get fixed up or that's going to cost me money if I buy this business so it's getting into that mindset of of trying to trying to on a regular basis stand back and look at your business as if you were a buyer, um, and 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 it's important for two reasons. I think anybody who's selling a business, it's useful to have this sort of mindset and sort of understand what what's a, what sort of things are going to be going through the mind of a buyer and how's a buyer going to approach the business. Um, and if you can, and I, I cover quite a lot of this in my book, just the the kind of things that that buyers do or think about that you don't. So if you're selling to a larger business, for instance, the the people you're dealing with in that business, they're they're paid employees. They're not emotionally fired up about your business. (laughs) They see it as a financial transaction. So all the 
you know, all the heartache you put into building your logo or your brand or whatever, they don't, they don't have any emotional attachment to that. It's just, you know, look and go, is it a good brand or not a good brand? You know, do, are we going to have to redo it, you know? Um, when the, they yeah, the, the, color, the color scheme is not ideal. It's not going to fit well yeah, in a PowerPoint. <laughs> exactly. Um, so so they, they the, the way they approach your business as a buyer is really different from how you approach it when you walk in every day and work in the business. So I, I really encourage all you know business owners over a period of time to start thinking as as buyer as um, as buyers of their business, and you can do this in a whole lot of different ways. Um, I mean, one one thing I think is good for business owners to do is w- whether they're actually going to do it or not. Look at well. What if we bought another business? What what? How would we approach it? So even if you just go as far as looking at a couple of other businesses potentially acquire, it doesn't take much time and effort to do it. There's businesses up for sale every day, but just go and get hold of the the IMs for the business. You know, maybe have a couple of initial discussions. So start to look at another business as if you were going to buy it. And what are the things you start thinking about? Because that, that's that's how buyers going to look at your business when they come to buy it. Well, and Jeff, you know what a cool exercise I did with one of our clients. Um, so, in interesting ways, and I don't know, do they have the SBA loan over in Australia? Uh, so the SBA loan is, is the SBA loan is is backed by the government, and what it is, it allows you to buy companies with like ten percent down, fifteen percent seller financing, and then the rest is uh, a ten year uh, loan payment. So. I actually went through this with my one of my clients as we were trying to prioritize all the things that they were doing, and we went through and looking at this business. And I said, okay, so if it's a, you know, if you're gonna pay, if you're gonna literally write it, you know, if you're gonna pay two million dollars, let's say it's, you know, twenty two hundred grand down, the rest, you know, fifteen percent seller financing, and then the rest is a loan. It's a ten year loan. Do you believe that you're gonna continue to be able to pay that debt out of the profits? And he's like. My God, well, the owner, she doesn't know what she's doing. The financials are bad. And he starts listing off all these things. He goes, no way I would pay, place a 10-year bet on that. And then he kind of looked up. And I'm like, all of those things that you just listed are things that we're trying to fix. Yeah. In your company. yeah. Because <laughs> yep. it was like the, the fact that they had to have a 10-year locked-in agreement, right? I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a strong commitment. And like, what's the commitment you would have to the sustainability yeah. of that business? Yeah. It, really good exercise, and I, as far as I know, we don't have anything similar to that in Australia. Um, but it, but it is that exercise of you start to think like a buyer, because it, if you can get into that mindset, it, it just helps you look more critically at your business. And to go through those sorts of exercises, I think are really useful. Um, the other the other thing I try and encourage people to think about in terms of thinking like a buyer is. Everybody in their business every day is selling their products and services. Try and take a step back and look at your whole business as if it's a product because that's the way a lot of buyers are going to look at it because a lot of bigger buyers are going to go, we've got these, you know, eight products. We're missing that one and that one. Can we go out and just buy one of those? So they'll often look at your business as being, yep, that helps us buy that product. Now, if you think about your business that way, as opposed to all the bits and pieces that hang off most businesses, for a lot of business buyers, they look at your business and go, I love that bit, but why on earth are they doing this, this and this? We'll have to, we'd have to go in and just shut that stuff down or sell that stuff off or get rid of it um, when all we really want is that bit. So if you're thinking more like a buyer, you'll build your business in a way that it's the kind of business that a buyer would want to buy and that it's easy for them to 
acquire, you know, all of the value, um, you know, in one bunch rather than rather than having to do a whole lot of restructuring work afterwards. Well, well uh, totally. And, you know, one of the things that to go back to one of our earlier points too is, you know, when you think about your three things that you want to have in order to have a great exit, which, you know, one I think is having control over that potential buyer because they're going to have all these stipulations. And if you've got your walk away ability, it's because you've worked yourself out of the company and worst case scenarios, you continue to keep your own cash flow. So it allows you to have all these different options to essentially pick whoever you want to accomplish your goals. And I think, you know, this uh, dovetails into the last, you know, one of the bigger picture things that you and I wanted to talk about where, you know, the buyers and the sellers, the demographics are going to change, right? So yes, let, let's say you haven't prepped your work and you've got one specific buyer, you're going to be kind of forced, right? Into that situation where you're going to have to make a lot of concessions, but you know, that's in a one particular situation. But Jeff, why don't you describe you're, what you've been discussing as the baby boomer exit tsunami, because I think that changed the demographics and the relationship of the buyers and sellers in the future as well. Yeah, I think we're going through or heading into a really interesting phase because if we look at if we look at baby boomers, particularly in Western economies, the baby boomers have had a massive impact on education, housing, the job market, all the rest of it. Um, and not surprisingly, they have a massive impact on the private business market. Um, and if you look at most Western economies, well over 70% of, of private businesses are owned by baby boomers. Most of them are looking to exit in the next 10 to 15 years. Last, The last baby boomers clicked over 50 last year. So they're all you know, well into that sort of retirement um, type age. And most of them don't really have an exit plan. So if, if we then... So if we couple that those sort of numbers um, with what's what else is happening in the marketplace, where a lot of a lot of the next generation are not taking over businesses anymore. You know, if they're entrepreneurial, most of them tend to want to set up their own businesses. Um, we're getting you know very different sort of shifts in the marketplace. Um, so you know, a lot of lot of you know obvious buyers for businesses in the past just aren't there anymore. You know, so a lot of private businesses would often get passed on to another business owner not dissimilar to themselves. Um, I don't think there's as many of those sort of buyers around as there used to be. So we're seeing all these different different sort of changes happening. Also, when you drill down into different segments, you look at some industries and, um, you know, particularly some of the, the health areas, um, a lot of the service industries and so on, the vast majority of owners um, of private businesses in those areas, certainly in places like Australia, you know, are, are really ageing quickly. So I, I saw some figures the other day saying that, you know, pharmacy businesses in Australia that are independently owned, the average business owner is well over 60. So we're going to get to a point in some industries where all of a sudden you're going to hold, get a whole pile of people want to leave at the same time and there's just not going to be buyers, um, enough buyers for, for, for those businesses. So that'll have a whole lot of knock-on effects for employees, for people who use those services and all the rest of it. And I just don't think there's a lot of um, people thinking about this issue very much at the moment. It's a huge deal. I really, I think it's a huge deal. Yeah. And look, this this um, potential phenomena was first identified by a guy called Pete Chrisman um, in the US um, who wrote a book, The $10 Trillion Opportunity. So he really identified those sort of macroeconomic indicators and sort of said, well, there's going to be in the next probably 15 to 20 years, $10 trillion worth of private businesses transition in some form or other. Um, my concern is if as, 
you know, as societies, we don't think through this issue and its ramifications. Um, we potentially have a whole lot of, you know, ugly outcomes from this. And 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 look, I, I I'm really mindful about not being you know, over the top about this or being, you know, scaremongering in any way because, you know, some people go, oh, look, it'll just sort itself out. But I, th I think I think the trouble is, you know, what, what I'm seeing at the coalface is I'm seeing a lot of businesses closing in Australia and they're businesses that, you know, they're not your typical, well, have been up and running for three or four years and we didn't make it and we, we just shut up. These are businesses that have often been going for decades and decades and, they, you know, often they're quite large private businesses, you know, might be employing 50, 100, 200 people. Um, they just go, look, it's all too hard. We can't exit. We don't have a plan. We can't find anyone to buy it. We're just going to shut it down. Now, that has a massive impact, you know, for the business owner firstly, um, but also for staff, suppliers, customers, all the rest of it. So I'm starting to see that. Now, it's hard to get stats on all of this sort of stuff because government's really not looking at it. So a lot of it's, you know, trying to drag together, you know, information from different sort of places. But I think it's really important for, you know, industry organisations, um, relevant government and government bodies to really start looking at this issue because I think it really will bite in some pretty unfortunate ways over the next 10 to 15 years if we don't. Well, I think you're, you're, I think definitely not being a doomsdayer because I think it's just more being very realistic of what's actually happening. I mean, the, the way that I describe it is so I, I don't know if in Australia it's the same way, but you literally can't turn the corner, Jeff, without seeing a 150-unit complex for assisted living. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's the first end of the that's the first part of the bell curve of the baby boomers. And I'm like, well, right in the middle of there is where literally half of the US GDP is is run by privately held baby boomer business owners. I'm like, so when those people start going into those housings and like seven years, what happens to the companies? Like it's a legit fact. Like if all the investors are moving their money at the beginning of the wave, what do we do about the middle that no one's looking at? And you know, the 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 challenge that I I see for, you know, these owners who are not preparing is okay, so do you guys have Zillow out in Australia? Yeah. Or like a like a real no, do you guys? No. So it's like, a, it's a, I'm sure you've got like a real estate app where you can like pull up everybody's houses and you can see everybody that's for sale oh, around you and like the value yeah. of it. So in that, the, the kind of the, you know, the, the challenge I see is, well, let's say there's no housing houses for sale and all these people haven't done a single update. So it's all the shade carpet and the orange walls and the old cabinets. And then everybody needs to move at once. There's not enough buyers. So what do you do? You just give it away or what? I mean, especially, you know, if the, if the non-business owners, you know, most of the equity that they're, their, you know, net worth is in their house. So it's a kind of a weird analogy that I hopefully doesn't, you know, go too off track, but it's, it's relevant because when you have all those buyers, buyers then have a choice on who they want to buy. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think for, for business owners, you know, regardless of whether you're a baby boomer or, or any business owner who's potentially looking to exit, you know, sometime over the next ten years or so, um, you need to be aware that that this is coming, and it's and I think it's already starting to you know have subtle impacts, and and we're going to need to be more creative about what we do as businesses. I mean, one one thing I'm working on with quite a few clients is it might be hard to sell your business. Maybe you should be looking at you know internal transitions because you've got you know people in your businesses who are interested in potentially stepping up to 
you know, owning owning part of the business. You know, maybe maybe that's going to need to be more of an option for people going forward. Now they might not get as good a price um, going down that route, but you know, yeah, or it might take longer might take or whatever longer it might be, right? To, you know, because you can't just walk up to employees and say, "Look, we think you're selling the business. Um, you probably need to know by you know the end of next week." <laughs> you know, it doesn't work. <laughs> you know, you've got, you know, these processes take you know a long period of time. You got to make sure that you know employee if if your senior man, any of your senior management team want to do that, that they're really the right people and they, you know, and they're well prepared and they and they can take time to do that and they might need to do that progressively. And then I'm, I'm curious if you're seeing in the marketplace, Jeff, I've had a couple of people on the podcast where like, you know, seeing in the marketplace where buyers are actually changing too. So it's not always maybe the typical buyers. I've had some people on the show where they've grown and sold really large digital marketing agencies. And because they understand that world so much, they're actually buying traditional service-based businesses for a higher dollar amount because they understand a different part of the world than the traditional owners. So there's like, synergies in different ways than people have normally seen i don't know if you're seeing like a different you know sectors of buyers coming out yeah, where you are I, yeah I, I am um and i think i think one of the changes particularly as the baby boomers kind of you know move on from from business is when i look at younger entrepreneurs i think they have a very different mindset to businesses um I, ironically it's a lot easier to talk to a you know, really switched on 25-year-old entrepreneur about business exits than it is a 65-year-old baby boomer who's run the business for 40 years because, <laughs> you know, a really switched on 25-year-old will go, look, I've identified this great market opportunity. I want to exploit it over four or five years. I've already worked out who I think I can sell it to. Um, I just need you to help me set up and get the best exit. You know, we've only just started. Um, but that's good. They're starting uh, with a different mindset. Now, they will go on and you know do other things and that might be buying other businesses whatever so i think we'll see a much more dynamic kind of marketplace going going forward um you know as younger entrepreneurs come in with different mindsets they don't see themselves necessarily as owning a business for you know 30 40 years like their parents might have mm -hmm. so um because you know we're, we're wrapping up on time you know and we've talked about a lot of stuff and you know for the people that want to dive more you know i'll have the links to your book the smart business exit in the, the show notes you know is there something that you want to highlight jeff that you want to leave everybody with or something maybe we haven't touched on that you want to make sure you you reiterate to the listeners yeah look it's pro probably one key thing and this has really come out of some of my recent discussions with michael gerber um i really think as a business owner in building your business, I'd really like business owners in the future to be what I'd describe as more purpose-driven entrepreneurs. So building businesses that are really grounded in really important purposes that go beyond just making a profit and thinking about building your business um, so it's not just for you. You're building something that that will go on um, well after you've you've stepped back as the business owner of it. So you're really building a legacy for the future, not just for yourself, but you know, but for your community and society as a whole. And I think if business was much more heading in that sort of direction, uh, it would be good, you know, for all of the stakeholders in that. Well, and not only the stakeholders, but you know, if you think about 
I think it's an excellent point to to kind of wrap up on because if you've got a passion and purpose-filled business, you're focusing on other things that are just profit and having those 10 people at your door, right? So you naturally, hopefully, I guess I'm just kind of assuming here, but if you're tied into like, so Patagonia, you know, they, or there's these things called B corporations around here in the US where like, you know, they're, they're purpose-filled. So you're naturally going to migrate off into something that's not the business if you're doing something like yeah, that. Yeah, and we're starting to get B, B corporations in Australia and they're doing some fantastic work. I love it. Jeff, what is the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? Uh, probably a couple of ways. Um, probably our websites uh, for starters, so www.grgmomentum.com.au or www.thesmartbusinessexit.com.au. Uh, so people can sign up for my blog there if they if they want to uh, get more information. Uh, my book's probably, um, probably Amazon's the best shot for my book, The Smart Business Exit. Um, and I'm on a range of social media, uh, particularly LinkedIn uh, and also Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Jeff. I appreciate it. Uh, pleasure, Brian. Thanks. Thanks for sticking in there to the end. I know it was a little bit of a longer episode, but I had too much fun talking to Jeff to, to cut it short. So for my three takeaways that I had, I'm actually going to highlight and reiterate the three variables of the great exit that Jeff talked about, because freedom in my mind is huge. That's the reason we start our businesses. And that's the reason we take all this risk. And I agree with Jeff that freedom is a couple of different things. One is financial freedom. I mean, you put all this blood, sweat and tears and risk into a company, you should get financially rewarded for everything that you did. But then it's also the freedom of time to do the things that you want to do and to do things that you can't do while you own the business. And also, I think one of the biggest takeaways of the freedom piece that I I experienced from talking to owners that have sold is freedom to hang out with the people that you want to and not the people that you don't want to. So it's really just painting your own picture of everything that you want to do. And the second piece of the great exit that I agree and really like to reiterate is the legacy and having a very clear vision of what is the legacy that you want to pass on? Is it something to your kids? Is it a legacy that of an industry disruption that you did or changing people's lives? Whatever it is, really get clear. Uh, what is it that you want to be remembered for with your company? And the third is what is your renewed purpose? The whole point of this podcast is the life after business. You know, what is on the docket for you next? Is it to help start a couple other companies? Is it to mentor? Is it to help business owners? What is the new purpose that you're going to drive towards? Because your community and all your activities will surround that purpose and it will make you happy and allow you to explore and grow as an individual instead of just sitting and wasting away after you sold your company. So I really hope you enjoyed the episode. Next week is a fantastic episode. I've got a gentleman named Marcelo who had built an amazing company and he explains his entire journey of selling his market research company that had 700 employees. So until next week, I hope you have a good one.